The title of the message is Come, Let Us Worship. And we're going to be uh, in Psalm 95. And I'm just going to go ahead and read that real quick. Psalm 95 says, Oh, come, let us sing. Every time I touch it, it's going forward. <laughs> Sorry. You got it, you got it. Mm-hmm. I got it? Okay. No, I don't. No, 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 I don't have it. You know how you do it. I like to read the whole thing first and then go back into it after. That's just how I preach. So. I touched it by accident, huh? Sorry, guys. I feel like the old guy that doesn't know technology. (laughs) All right. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. You can join me if you want to. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And I ask you to join me in prayer. Lord, we come before you asking you to speak to us today, Lord. Lord, we read your word and we see the invitation. The invitation, the Holy Spirit inspired David to invite us, your people, to come and sing praise to come and worship you. Lord, I pray that we may take that invitation seriously. Help us to be obedient to your word, regardless of uh, what uh, just attitudes that we may have or what kind of churches we grew up in the past or whatever it is that hinders us from coming to you, Lord. Help us to take your word serious. But Lord, I pray that we may not see it as something that's external, but something that's internal, something birthed in the heart of a true worshiper, someone that values you above all things. Lord, let us live lives worshiping you, celebrating you, humbling, humbly coming before you, and living lives of obedience. Speak to us, challenge us, do whatever you have to do. We each have different needs. Speak to us individually and also as a congregation. We ask you all this. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So, the big idea is God calls his people to worship him with celebratory praise, humble adoration, and a life of obedience. So, how do we worship God? According to the psalm, with celebratory praise, humble adoration, and a life 
of obedience. What a beautiful psalm we have here. It's both inspiring and challenging. The psalmist is both calling us and cautioning us, inviting us to worship and also threatening us, telling us we need to understand what God requires from us. This is probably the greatest call to worship in the Word of God. And if I were a boring worship leader, I would sing this, I would read the psalm, the beginning of worship, every week. <laughs> but it's appropriate. It's, it's amazing. It, you know, it's basically done my work for me. This psalm calls us to worship three times in English. The word come comes up. But um, as we probably spoke about many times here, the Hebrew and the Greek languages where the Bible is written, they have a much deeper language than English. So we might see come, but there's a deeper uh, uh, word there. In, in verse 1, it says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. And the Hebrew word there means going or coming or walking. And so I'm like, hey, come. In verse 2, it said, Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. And this word come means to meet someone or to encounter someone. And is very is used very often as far as encountering encountering God, coming face to face with God. In verse six, it says, "Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker." And it's a more intimate word. The word "come" here is like inviting a guest into your home. So we see the word "come" here. It progressively gets closer. It progressively becomes more uh, intimate. And the psalm is inviting us to come and to worship. But, and I know we talk about this a lot, but what does worship mean? Most of the time when we hear the word worship, we think about singing in church. And singing itself is not worship. But in this psalm, we are called, in this psalm, singing is called worship. So when we say sing, and when we say, oh, we're coming to worship, and I'm had a discussion with your friend of mine who uh, says, hey, let's sing. And I say, let's worship. And I love to judge. So, anyway, so we've had this conversation many times over the years. And I'm like, ha! The Bible calls singing worship here. So I can say that. Just kidding. No, but yeah, so anyway, so, but but we know that even though it's not, it's not merely singing. Yeah. Worship is birth in the heart of of a worshiper. The word worship means to ascribe worth. In other words, the word worship, and it comes from the old English word, worthship, is all based on worth, is all based on value. So we worship what we value most. So we, we uh, and what we value most affects the way we live our lives. What we value most is, most is what we treasure in our hearts. It, is, it affects the decisions we make. And what we value most, we're willing to sacrifice everything for. If we value money, we're willing to sacrifice everything, even our, our integrity and our family for money. If we value power, we will put people down and put people down to have more power. And if we value Jesus, we will slaughter everything else on the altar of God to put him first. But when we value something other than Jesus, we are willing to slaughter Jesus on the altar of that one thing. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds kind of gruesome, but it's just reality. <laughs> so, I like these definitions. Tim Keller says that worship is an act of ascribing ultimate value to God, seeing what he's worth and living in accordance with that in such a way 
that it transforms your whole life. John Piper says, the inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied by God above all earthly things. I was tempted to say it just like him, but it is. And then the deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows into demonstrable acts of praise from the lips and demonstrable acts of love in serving others for the sake of Christ. So we see here from these examples or definitions that worship starts in the heart of a person that values God above everything. That values God above everything. Our actions become an expression or a reflection of our heart of worship. And one of the main ways that the Bible teaches us to worship God is through singing, is through praise, is through coming together and singing songs to God. The book of Psalms, the book of Psalms is the largest book in the Bible, and it's a book of songs. Just imagine that. Doesn't that show how much God values singing? And also, we like to use the Word of God to teach us how to do everything else. But then when it comes to worship, we say, no, I worship my way. That's a challenge, right? So, anyway, the psalm also gives us, a, this psalm, a theological understanding of what worship is and what it means to be a worshiper. What we do on Sunday mornings is an extension and an expression of our hearts of worship, the heart that, that values Jesus above everything. And we cannot separate the life and the heart of worship and the expression of worship. We just we tend to do that, but we don't. Reality in this psalm, we know that okay, we already know worship is about the heart. But this psalm is not calling us to worship God only from our hearts. This psalm is calling us to worship God with our lips. So, so we see here that um, we have the, the heart of worship is birthed in the heart of worship, but it uh, this materializes as a passionate, heartfelt expression of praise and worship, in exuberant celebration, in humble worship, and a heart that is surrendered to Christ. There are three basic main parts of this psalm, and each one gives us a different facet of worship, but all three come together to teach us what worship really is. And, the, and, and uh, when we go back to verse 1, it says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Man, this one little phrase is packed with so much. Like I said, it's an invitation from God to come and, to, and, and commanding us to sing. And it's to sing to the Lord. Singing, like I said, the external expression. But also notice it says, let us sing. So we are, I'm not saying that we can't sing on our own, but this psalm is teaching us to sing yeah. together. This is why we meet, and this is why in church history, half the service almost has been dedicated to congregational singing. Again, to show the value that God has on this. It doesn't say, come and listen to the worship team sing. 
It doesn't say come and sing if you like music. It doesn't say come and sing if you're charismatic. It doesn't say come and sing if you have a great voice. It says come and let us sing together. Now is singing the only way that we worship God? No, it's not. But singing together is important and significant and it is a biblical expression of worship. It says here in verse 1, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. A joyful noise. What does that sound like? It may sound different in different cultures and during different times. But when we hear it, we know it. You know when you hear something, you hear a bunch of people joyful about something. You're like, oh, what, what is it? Let, let me see what's going on there. We know when something is a joyful noise. The call, this psalm calls us to worship God with our emotions. With an overflow of joy. The Holy Spirit inspired David to invite us to come and sing to God with joy. Again, I'm going to say that over and over again because it's the word of God. You got a problem with it, talking to Jesus. <laughs> so, <laughs> verse 2 says, let us come again, like I said, face to face into his presence with thanksgiving. Into his presence literally means before the face of God. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Again, let us, the congregational aspect. So there are, is an emphasis on singing with joy and praising and celebrating. Does this describe our congregational worship? Does this describe your worship? And I say that as a loving challenge to all of us. Because we can grow in our worship if we want to. If we want to look at the word of God and the challenge of it. And say, man, this might not be, you know, you know, I'm a very, you know, you know, I'm not as, you know, wild as that crazy guy with the keyboard, you know, or you know what I'm saying, or or whatever it is, or maybe I'm, I'm that's not my character, or maybe, man, I didn't grow up like this, but there's a challenge in the Word of God to grow in this, if God is calling us to do this. Ask yourself, do you respond and rejoice? Did you make a joyful noise? I need to grow on that. Because I feel like when I go, woo, it doesn't sound that good. I'm not doing it like Ric Flair. You know? <laughs> you know? But we let's I need to be more creative. How can I how can I allow the joy that I have inside to be expressed? It might be different for everybody, and I'm not saying everybody has to look the same. But ask yourself that. And then we go back. So it tells us to sing, celebrate to the question, my favorite question, why? Verse 3 says, For the Lord is a great God, and a great king above all gods. His hands, in his hands are the depth of the, of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. So why should we sing? Why should we make a joyful noise? Why should we celebrate? Because we serve a great and big God who is worthy to be praised. Think about it. I mean, I know me as a sports fan. Man, I go crazy when my team is winning. And I also go crazy when they're losing. But I, I, you know, and I'm I'm winning the celebration. I'm like, what? And screaming. I, I I remember when the Yankees won the World Series. I'm not even a Yankee fan. I'm a Met fan. And I was in a restaurant when the Yankees won the World Series. 
and I'm just there celebrating. And I'm one of the surgeons that come to New York in 10 years. And I'm looking at all these guys, all these drunk guys pouring beer all over me. And they're, 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 they're celebrating, and I'm looking at them, and I'm like, you know what? They're not going to get any money from this. They'll get a parade, you know? Man, how much bigger is what God has done for us? Do we have a reason to celebrate? Amen. God is the creator of the universe. And God is the sustainer of the universe. And he is the master of the universe. Not He-Man, but anyway. So anyway, he is the owner and the sustainer, the one that governs the universe, the one that holds it together. He deserves to be praised and celebrated. He deserves to be boasted about. And some of the... Um, the, the the word, we hear the word praise in English, but in Hebrew, there's like seven different words. And some of them are to boast, to make his name famous. So besides that we're celebrating him and he's receiving this joyfully, we're also telling of his great works. We're telling of who he is. And I don't know about you, sometimes I need you to tell me because I need to hear it sometimes. I need to be reminded. You know, the greatest honor that I have in my life is for me to get up here every Sunday morning and to attempt to remind you guys of who God is. That is one of the greatest honors that I have. I get to do this every Sunday morning, and I try, but I, sometimes I need you to remind me also. God is the king above all gods, and he is worthy to be praised. Now, I'm not just talking about knowledge. I'm not just talking about knowing things about him because we can say God is good all the time but it's just this floating idea when we take that in and we take it into our hearts and we declare it we make it ours we make it true for us and God's goodness is not known unless you are tested and you are suffering and you need to really evaluate whether God is really good or not and when you when you are able to did you try my new business <laughs> when, when we are able to really understand God's goodness in the middle of suffering, that changes everything. It's not God is good all the time. Now I say, God, you are good to me. You have been good. As I think about all you've done, as I think about who you are, you are good. That's different than just the idea of God is good. So the Psalms are both theological and inspiring. You know, and I can, we can go and we can exegete the text and all that. And that's great. But it's more than that. Above all the other books in the Bible, the Psalms are supposed to inspire. We are supposed to walk around. I want to feel the way that David felt when he wrote this. And it's the same thing with songs. So, songs have the power of the, of the soul of the songwriter to be communicated to your soul. That sounds kind of weird indeed, but it's true. <laughs> Jimi Hendrix said... I can make you feel the way I felt when I write my songs. You know, it's the power of music. So when we, I want to have, I want to be able to, to sense and know and have conviction of the truth of the of, of who God is through the songs that I that, that I sing. And I again, we try to do that here. We try to sing songs filled with the Word of God, so that we can be able to know God through them and to respond properly with celebration as we learn. What worship is through the Psalms. We worship, worship is to be in awe of God. We want to stir up awe. We want to be able to, to look at God. The word behold means to stare at something and to marvel. I mean, we might not be able to do that physically to God, 
But in our hearts, as we sing truth, as we read truth, as we share truth with one another, the truth of God just becomes big. And in our hearts, we see God to see this um, be this amazing God. And we should stand before him in awe. Our hearts should explode when we see how great God is as he reveals himself to us, as he's revealed himself to us in creation and through his word. And at the center of our core, we need to believe and know that this is to be true. So the word awe means a feeling of rever reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder. Respect mixed with fear and wonder. So to be in awe, it means to be almost fearful. Have you ever seen something that's so great or experienced something so great that almost like fear, you feel like this fear for a second? It might sound corny, but I remember Michaela was a couple months, like four months old, and she started saying mama and dada. My brother was like working with her. And it was so crazy that she did that. I got scared for a second. You know what I mean? When we wonder, when we marvel at something, there's like a, a little sense of fear that happens. They play like this is so big, and it should be like that with God. Verse four says, "The heights of the mountains are His also; the seas His also, for He made it. He made creation. Mount Everest is the highest, has the highest altitude above sea levels. The mountain with the highest altitude, and it stands at twenty nine thousand twenty nine feet." I've never seen Mount Everest, but I just can imagine just looking at it, just being like, whoa. <laughs> and since God created Mount Everest, Mount Everest, he's bigger than Mount Everest. And the deepest part of the sea is 36,200 feet deep. So Mount Everest fits in the sea. And I was just thinking about it as I was preparing. Like, imagine the people that, that uh, I mean, now we see the sea and we're like, okay, we know that we can just get in a big boat and cross the sea. Back in the days, they couldn't do that. They, imagine how they saw the sea. It was like this beautiful living thing that was also scary and dangerous. And it was also something that that uh, sort of like gave them borders for their life. They're like, okay, I can't go in there, but I can sit here and see how amazing it is. You know, now, you know, we, we have technology and we, we don't marvel at stuff like that anymore. So, and one of the greatest examples I've heard, and I've heard this several times, is about uh, a woman that had jewelry and it had diamonds in it and she was a family heirloom she was like, eh, you know, she didn't pay much mind to it and she took it to a jeweler for a jeweler to get to appraise it and as the jeweler was looking at it was seeing the color and the cut and the reflecting light you know, he was just like, and he was just blown away he was like, that this was like this piece of jewelry that had been missing for years and this was expensive jewelry that was of greater value than anything that he's ever seen before and he was just, you know, just excited about it. And he communicated it to her. And she realized, man, I've had this beautiful thing for so long and I did not pay attention to it. I didn't treat it the way that it should be treated. And she just realized that her life was transformed. Her life will never be the same because she became aware of how valuable this is, this thing that she has. And I think it's like that with Jesus too. I think it's like that with Jesus. Many We have thousands and millions of people in churches all over America that look at Jesus the same way that she saw this piece of jewelry. It's like, yeah, I have it. Man, we need to study Jesus. We need to look at Jesus. We need to behold Jesus constantly. 
to continue to have more and more fresh revelation of who he is in order for our hearts to explode with praise. We become very stale very easily. We get used to things. Even the people of Israel, which we're going to talk about, they saw God do all these things, and yet they still lost their awe of him. We cannot lose our awe of God. Verse 6 says, Come, let us worship and So come and worship with humble adoration. Verse 6 says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So worship is celebration and awe, but worship is also humility and adoration. In the first section, we are invited to make a joyful noise. Now we are invited to worship by bowing and kneeling. Bowing and kneeling is a symbol of humility. We are saying, you are so great and I am so not great that I'm just going to lower myself as much as I can because I don't even deserve to be in your presence. And we come to God and we bow our wills to him and we pray, Lord, let my will be in line with your will because you are great. We come before him in confession. We come before him in repentance of our sin. And we have an attitude of humility and surrender before God. Praise should lead towards worship because as we praise him and we celebrate him and we see him on his big throne and we lift him up, we see how great he is and how small we are and how he still loves us and how he still cares for us. What other, react, what other response can we have but to just bow our heart before him? And I know this is different in this country where we can say, this is not my president and stuff like that. But in other places where they have these great rulers and kings, what would they do? They would bow before them. I mean, American attitude really has jacked up our worship. Okay. But, anyway, but we can, you know, there's nothing else in our life that we can relate to this attitude. Because, you know, we're, we're, we're in control there, you know? But in other countries, they have something to relate. Oh, yeah, the king is great. Oh, oh that's how I'm supposed to be with God, you know what I mean? So, humbling, kneeling, and even if we're not doing it physically, you know we should. It's an outward expression of the posture of our hearts. It's an outward expression that sometimes can even remind us of the posture of our hearts or the way it should be. I mean, think about it. I remember when I first came to the Lord, I used to kneel all the time praying. Because I used to look, Daniel did it, Jesus did it. How many times do you kneel when you pray now? Do you ever kneel? And I'm not saying you have to. But do you ever kneel? Do you ever kneel when you pray? And after doing this, I'm like, man, I want to do this more. You know, I, like I said, with American attitudes, look, I don't have to do that, right? I don't have to do it. If I don't have to do it, I'm not going to do it. But sometimes we reject things because we don't have to do it, even though it's good for us to do it. I don't have to kneel when I pray. I don't have to lift up my hands to worship. And I've had people say, that, hey, do I have to? Do I have to lift my hands? Do I have to sing with joy? Do I have to? And I say, um, I think a better question is to ask yourself, why don't you? That's a better question. 
Ask yourself and be honest with yourself. Why, why won't you? Why don't you? God is worthy of it. So again, the psalmist uh, tells us here. Okay. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. This great big God who spoke the earth into existence, who created everything, who sustains the world, all the all the planets revolving around the around the around the sun. I must have said that. Sorry, wrong model. Revolving around teachers, revolving around the sun, and if they'll just stop for a second, they'll probably explode, collide or something. And He sustains you, every single one of us, and every single animal, and everything that's going on here. The one that created all the things we see, all the things that we don't see, the things that are great, the things that are small. This God calls us His people. He calls me His. All of us who have trusted Jesus for our salvation, who have repented of our sins, who follow Jesus, who live to glorify Jesus, we are his people. He is our shepherd. And this speaks to the nature and the heart of the relationship that God has with us. He feeds us. He loves us. He cares for us. And he leads us. And we are in his hands. We are in his hands. Isn't this comforting? The great sovereign God who created and sustains all things, the one that's fully wise and full of glory, is my shepherd. He sees you and he loves you. We celebrate God because of how great he is. And this is true for all people. Everybody sees how great, even they deny it, but they see all the creation. But for us, the psalmist gets more personal. It's about me and God. Not that it, that's the only perspective we should have because we know that we have a, we're a part of a body. But And as a theological worship leader, when I hear so many songs about I, 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 I want this, I need this, it makes me cringe. But there should be some person, some personalness yeah. in our worship. If it's all personal, then it's too much. But there should be something where we're just not declaring declaring these lofty thoughts and stuff like that. But we're making it ours and we realize that God is my God. Not in a prideful way, but in a humble way. I'm his. He's chosen me. He's called me. And he loves me. So it's more than just having these thoughts. It's about receiving this revelation that only comes in a real relationship with God. Being in his word and spending time with him in prayer. Like I, I always say, man, I love the, the Psalms. I, I love theology. But the Psalms are not just thoughts. They're heartfelt. They take the thoughts and it comes into our heart and becomes ours. Like I said earlier about God being good. We recognize that our God speaks to us and desires to have an intimate relationship with us. And, you know, we have people that go extreme there and they don't think about the congregation. Our life and our relationship with God is both congregational and personal. We find security that we are his sheep and that we are in his hands. So worship there 
before we were talking about worship being in a sense of awe. Now we're talking about worship being a sense of love and being personal with God. And everything changes in the next verse. Da, 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 da. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. So the greatest example of both love and worship is obedience. We are to respond to God's voice with obeying him. We are to respond to his voice and his warnings, knowing that God can destroy us. He is the great God, the great holy and righteous God. So we should have an attitude of reverence, not indifference. We are to hear his voice. He might not speak to us audibly, but he speaks to us through his word and he speaks to our hearts. We have no right to disagree with God. He's God. And when we disagree with God, then we are testing him. It is one thing to question God and seek understanding and, and, and wrestle through things because we're struggling to surrender. And we're like, Lord, I don't understand. Help me. But it's another thing to just flat out, you know, push him away and to turn your face from him and say, no, God, I'm more good than you are. I don't know what you're doing and I don't like it. All right. We can say, God, I don't like it. Help me. Or we can say, I don't like it. I, I think you should do this. I'm more wise than you are. I'm more good than you are. I'm better than you are. Because if I were God, right? <laughs> if I were God, this is what I would do. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. So it's talking about the Israelites. God had delivered them from 400 years of brutal slavery. They saw plagues being sent to the Egyptians. They saw frogs. They saw uh, a hail. They saw darkness. They saw a blood. And they saw the firstborn of all the Egyptians die. And God saved their firstborn. They saw the Red Sea and experienced right there God saving them by delivering them from the hands of the Egyptians by opening the sea and they walked right through and after they went through it just fell on top of their enemies destroying them and God did all that for them but yet when they got to the other side of the sea and they go into the wilderness and they started I'm thirsty okay did they ask God for water? no they started to complain and to grumble and they said is the Lord with us or not? After all these miracles that they saw, so many miracles in such a short time, they started to doubt that God was with them. And Moses named that place Massa and Meribah. And Massa means test or tempt. And Meribah means quarreling. They saw so many things, but they grumbled. They tested the Lord. They hardened their hearts. They rebelled against him because he didn't do things the way that, the way that they wanted him to. And they did not trust him. And about a year later, God was leading them into the promised land, the land that he has promised to them. And they sent out 12 scouts or spies to go in there. And they went in there. When they came back, you know, like, yeah, the land is amazing. 
It's flowing with milk and honey, and I got some fruit here. This great fruit here. Try this. But there are giants there. We cannot defeat them. We are like grasshoppers. But God was saying, I will go with you. I will defeat yeah. them. Yes. Yes. And they were afraid. And after he hearing all that, Caleb was like, Yep, that's true. All right, let's go. You know? He was he was trusting in the Lord and said, I'm gonna let's go and let's let's do what God came, uh, 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 what God has called us to do. Let's be obedient, and he's gonna be able to give us this victory. And because of they heard all the all the complaining and the, the fear from all the other scouts, all the people were scared and they wept that night and they were believing the reports of those ten spies. And they said, Why has God brought us here to die? That wasn't an Australian action saying today. I'm saying to die. Like, I'm saying, nobody <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Man, so they were saying, why has God brought us here to die? Let's choose a leader and let's go back to Egypt. And Joshua, Caleb, Moses, and Aaron pleaded with them, do not rebel. God is with us. And the people tried to stone them and to kill them because they refused to be obedient to God and to trust God and to go and to take the, the, the promised land. And God was angry at them. And Moses begged them, uh, begged God to forgive those people. And God said that he would forgive them. But God also swore that this generation shall not see the promised land. He said they have put into the test, he said, ten times. In this short year, ten times they put him to the test. The only ones that made it through were Joshua and Caleb. And they were the ones that were willing to go. So because of their grumbling and their complaining, their rebellion, and their lack of faith, they would not see the land that God had promised to them. They preferred to go back to Egypt and to be slaves than to trust the Lord and to experience a beautiful life of joy that God wanted to give them. Verse 10 says, For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And it's interesting, the journey from Egypt to Canaan was just a couple of weeks. But God had them roaming around in circles, just waiting for the generation to die. Because they were faithless and they tested him and did not trust him. There was no rest for them. Just like there's no rest for an unbelieving heart. When God's word comes to us, we are to obey it. He alone is Lord. We're not to twist it. We're not to reject it. We're not to spin it. We're not to try to make it easier. We're not to make it excuses. We're not to rationalize it. We're to obey it. And this warning was for the Israelites at the time. And then David wrote this psalm, and this warning was for the people that would sing this psalm during David's time. And then this war this psalm was uh, basically all Hebrews 3 and 4 is speaking about this psalm, saying, do not harden your hearts when, when the Lord speaks. So it was for the people that would read the book of Hebrews. And this psalm is for us today. When God speaks, obey. And here at CCG, we believe that the preaching of the word of God is prophetic. It's not like, hey, you know, let me see, I'm going to give this, I'm, I want to give this talk or, you know, no. We 
first preacher, we pray and we ask the Lord to speak through us. And we believe that God speaks. So ask yourself, be honest. Do you come here every Sunday expecting for the Lord to speak to you? Do we really think about it? It's just, oh, Sunday morning, 10, 15, I'm going to go sing some songs here. No. Do we really expect for the Lord to come and speak to us? When we, when we are speaking, we're not just conveying information. God wants to challenge us to trust him. God wants to challenge us to be an extension of the ministry of Jesus. And that's for both us personally and the church. God wants to challenge us to grow in knowing God. God wants to challenge us into growing and becoming more and more like Jesus. God wants to challenge us to love like Jesus. God wants to challenge us to live like Jesus. And he wants to challenge us to live for his glory. So ask yourself, like I said, do you come here on Sunday expecting to hear a challenge from the Lord? And man, we hear so much. We hear encouragement. Don't get me wrong. Not everything's a challenge. We hear assurance of who we are. We hear love and God speaks to us. But we also hear a challenge. God is always challenging us. And if you don't know when, at least in the application points, <laughs> we try to put challenges in there. So we definitely must be intentional to have this mindset so that we can be reminded that we are to surrender our lives to God. We can be reminded that God is worthy for us to give him all that we are. And we need to be reminded why. How? When we need to be reminded, we go back to praising him. We go back to looking at who he is. And this is, like I said, this is partially my job and the worship team's job. We get up here and we want to sing exciting and boastful, celebratory praises, songs filled with the word of God so that we can remind you of who is God, remind you of his character and his care and his love. We want to be reminded who he is and what he's done, and we want to remind everyone, let's sing together. We also want to remind everyone of his love for us. We want to remind everyone how he calls us his children, how he speaks to us about his perfect love. We want to remind everyone how nothing separates us from the love of God. We want to remind them how we have his eternal presence with and in us, that he is our shepherd, that we are his, and that we are in his hands. And we also want to challenge each other to obey God and challenge each other to, to, to look at him. And you know what? On this side of the cross, we have more to be grateful for. Amen? Amen. The psalmist speaks about praising God for who he, who he is. And they had, just, they had not received the salvation of Christ yet. The greatest example of God's greatness, his power, his righteousness, and his love. We see that at the cross when Jesus gave his life for us. So we have so much more to be grateful and to praise God for and to surrender our lives than even the psalmist. Amen? But sometimes what happens is we become apathetic. There's a lack of interest in what God is saying and what he wants. And you know what? And we, we don't want God to break our little moral bubbles. You know? 
What is that? I don't drink, I don't chew, or date girls that do, whatever they say in the South. <laughs> I don't cheat on my taxes. I'm a hardworking man. But there's more. God does not want your morality. He wants your heart. He wants your life. And sometimes we mix up giving our lives to God with just being good people. And there's more to serving God than that. So if today you find your heart hardened, go back. Go to his word. See who God is. Let his his word reveal, reveal himself to you. And I invite you to praise God and celebrate God. The truth that we sing has a way of making it to our hearts and transforming us. Our lives are transformed during times of worship. When we worship God with our minds, with our hearts, with our emotions, with our wills, and with our bodies. And if you've never experienced that, I invite you. Come and sing to the Lord. Come and praise the Lord. Come and worship the Lord. And we remind ourselves of why God is worthy to be obeyed and why he is God and we are not and we live lives of surrender. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Some application points. Number one, respond to the invitation in God's word to worship him with praise and with humility. I invite you, I beg you, I implore you, all those words, and I challenge you. Praise God and celebrate Him. Rejoice in the Lord. Joy has a way of changing us and changing our moods even. And when we're singing and rejoicing the truth of God's Word, His Word is being carved into our hearts. It might be more challenged for other people but I encourage you to do that. Praise God with all that you are, including your emotions. Number two, don't lose your sense of awe. Be in his word consistently. Expose yourself to the word of God. We say that worship is a response to revelation. As we see God and as we know God, we're able to to. Uh, take these truths and make it ours and surrender to him and sing to him and, and to surrender our lives to him. But we need fresh revelation in our lives. If Our lives can become very stale if we do not have fresh revelation that comes from the word of God. Expose yourself to the word. Read. Listen to the preachings on Sunday. Listen to podcasts. Speak to each other about the word of God. Behold the glory of the Lord. Meditate on it meditate on what God has done for your life personally. And also, listen for God's voice and obey Him. Come here and read the Word and expect for God to, 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 to challenge you. Expect for Him to ask you for something. Be honest and when you come in prayer, come before God with your life. He sees everything that you are. You can't hide anything from Him. And all of us have things that we need the Lord to transform in And the greatest part about it, he doesn't say, okay, you change it. He says, let me change it. I will transform you to make you more and more like Christ. Trust that his ways are perfect. Even in the middle of suffering, run to God. 
in the time in the middle of times where we think think that God should have done things a little bit differently. We will go do that. Run to Him and humble your hearts before Him. So when the Lord speaks to you, do not harden your hearts, but worship the Lord.